finding the story you're ready and willing to tell that's going to be compelling enough to an audience takes time. You know, we hear often everyone has stories, but I don't believe every story we have needs to be told or is ready to be told. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, my partner Sean and I tackle one topic or answer one question as best we can to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories, personal stories, grit stories. Usually, Sean and I have one feature storyteller per episode, then he and I will talk about the story that gets told. But in an effort to be more inclusive and to really build this great storytelling community, we're adding some one-on-one interviews. Sometimes it'll be me interviewing somebody, and sometimes it's going to be Sean. This week, it's me talking with Joanne Pelletier of Montreal. Man. I first heard Joanne a couple months ago on a storytelling show hosted on Zoom by Sean, and I thought, she has something to say, and there's something about her that really makes me want to listen. This is perfect. So I I reached out to her for our podcast, and she contributed an excellent story. More recently, we got to sit down and talk, lucky for me. We got to sit down and talk about our favorite subject here at Grit, storytelling. I hope you enjoy this talk as much as I did. Okay, now let's dive in. Hello. Hey, how are you, Joanne? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing great. Is that, uh, it's nice to see you. I believe it was one of Sean, my podcast partner, Sean Wellington's 99 Second Story Slams, um, where I first saw you. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were telling a story about the end of a relationship. And what I saw was, wow, I really want to reach out to Joanne for the podcast because what I'm getting from this person is that uh, she's very balanced and has a a, a real strength about her. Um, she's um, in control of uh, the story that she's telling and I'd like to talk to her some more. And then we got in touch and then you, of course, we're so easy to work with for the podcast because you offered a story that I did not want. I didn't want to touch a word in it. Um, So all these things caused me to wonder, and I haven't gotten to ask you many questions about yourself, but uh, how long have you been telling stories? Thank you for that. That, Those are all very kind things to say. I appreciate this. I started telling in telling stories in 2017. So not all that long. Uh, I'd been writing a lot before then, but I got started. Honestly, it was a bit of a whim. I work in communications. I still do. But at the time, I was working with scientists and and academic colleagues. I work in a university and I was giving them advice on how to sort of translate their content to a general public audience. And I got to thinking, gee, how do we really reach an audience? What are the kinds of things we can do when we have a lot of complexity to try to compress it to really have the audience get it? And I saw an advertisement for a storytelling show. I thought, well, maybe these folks know how to do this. And I went to a show. You know, I'm a big fan of trying things that I'm going to propose to others as good advice. 
And so I thought, well, if I'm going to really start thinking about this, I should try it. I actually pitched the story about my mom's plastic surgery. That was my first story. And I really believed it would be a one-off thing. But what I learned is there was something really fascinating happening about the intellectual practice of writing the piece, um, but but also the 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 intuition and the thinking about the audience and trying to figure out what my voice was going to be, and also the balance of like how much detail to include, what is really necessary for people listening to get it, mm-hmm. to get what I'm feeling, to get in the moment with me, and I loved that. I loved it was it was. I mean, it builds on all the writing and the communications work I've done. And so I kept doing it. I mean, and I kept learning and I hope getting better over time. I think I have. And also just figured out what my style is in storytelling. I never thought of myself as having a voice in particular, but I think I do have one mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, that, that I'm happy with. So that that's kind of how it started. I mean, it was really one of those incredibly happy, extraordinary accidents almost. That's beautiful. And it's a perfect time to ask you, um, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's just getting started in storytelling? Finding the story you're ready and willing to tell that's going to be compelling enough to an audience takes time. You know, we hear often everyone has stories, but I don't believe every story we have needs to be told or is ready to be told. I'm often asked, you know, for example, how do I feel about telling stories that seem to be so private? And I think it's interesting because the stories I tell are very personal in the sense that they mean a lot to me. They actually happen to me. I value them. I live with them. I honor them. I honor the people I'm talking about, but they're not private. There are things that I feel like I'm ready to share that have particularities and specificities that I think could be really universal for a broader audience. And it's really hard because we all want a quick win. We want to try something and be super good at it right away. But this practice is really tough. Like even if you have been a writer or you're really good even at presenting things in meetings, it doesn't mean your storytelling is going to be exactly where you want it to be. It will take time. And that patience is really hard in a culture where, gee, we just want to be good, especially as adults, right? We don't want to be a beginner again. We just want to want to jump in and do a course and just be really good, like win that slam every time. And I don't think that works with storytelling. And the, the other thing is, I think new storytellers and more seasoned ones, we, we get really attached to our stories. We get really, really attached to the absolute chronology of the story, like we're, we're sharing a police report of an incident. And one of the hardest things is to let go of that to let go of that deep attachment and to really take a hard look at what is truly necessary for the audience to get it. Cause really all that matters for me is, is this going to matter to the audience? Is, are they going to get it in a way? It, it's no longer my story, right? It's less about what, what I really think about the story and it's more about where the audience is going to engage. Mm-hmm. And these, these are complex things, right? They take time to figure out. It's what writers struggle with as well. And it's also really hard to teach it. I think it's, in fact, Sean and I have talked about this. It, it takes the experience of practice to do well. It feels good to me to hear you say that because when you're talking about starting as a storyteller in 2017, I couldn't help but to remember my first foray and my first months and how 
awkward, <laughs> awkward it could be. I started to wonder how, how was it that you learned so much? And I imagine it happened probably pretty quickly uh, as you are one to throw yourself into something with, with passion, it seems to me. Was it by going to shows or listening to others or did you take a class or... I actually never took a class, but I had been writing a lot, right? And and it and it helps too that my work life is entirely about this kind of work. So storytelling through communications mm-hmm. in, in a corporate context and with startups and with scientists, but creating an experience through writing for me is is not at all new. And I had been really struggling to to kind of find a channel for my writing. Like I, I didn't really want to write nonfiction. I tried fiction and I just didn't feel it was quite right. I, w- I was looking for some kind of hybrid, mostly about boxing stories. And I had tried out blogs. I mean, I, I really, really tried a few things. And what I found is the the storytelling gave me this liberty of performance as well too. It allowed me to use voice as in my physical voice and inflection and a little bit of poetry and, you know, the sort of beat rhythm to the way I speak that uh, flat writing didn't afford me. Mm -hmm. It was magical the way it came together. That's not to suggest it was easy because yeah, I did listen to a lot of storytellers, but I listened to a lot of other things. It's not only storytellers that are, you know, an influence. I think because I really believe that storytelling, there's something about it that that is an absolutely almost meditative, intuitive practice. It's an intellectual and intuitive practice. Mm-hmm. That it, yeah, sure, it's about putting the right ideas together and you can kind of have a formula of what a story is, but it's not an algorithm, right? You have to feel write about sharing it. And it, it has to have something that is going to allow the audience to attach in a in a very economical way, in a quick enough way. So um, the, the line I like is stories are stories are are meant to be felt, not just heard. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, yeah. I mean I and by the way, I also I, I resist the notion that you know once you do it a few times, you're done learning. I'm still learning. I learn all the time. I go to as many story events more than ever now in virtual. And invariably I learn from what I'm hearing and think about, oh gee, I would have done it differently, but that's really cool that that person kind of made that choice. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of you as with your writing background. That's the kind of background I have too. And it it took me a long time to let go of the kind of control that I have uh, when I'm writing words down and rendering scenes on a page to let go of the sequence of words, the sweet transitional phrases and that kind of thing. Even the other day, um, I had to make a recording. Uh, it was actually to promote a class I have coming up. And so I wrote it out and I took my time doing that. and. I made the recording and it was like twice as long as it needed to be. And then my wife walked into the room. And so I went out to the car to make the recording without any of the written words. And I was just like, this is how it goes. You can't be looking to myself. I can't be looking at words on a page. It's a different part of me uh, and it doesn't come off. Um, it's very awkward when I am trying to memorize. I wonder, did you go through a period like that? And would you, the most important part to me is any advice that you give to a, a new storyteller who has written a lot? 
I've heard a lot of advice around this as it relates to my stories over the years. So I've been told, you know, that I'm too poetic in one instance, which I, I think is a way of saying I'm literate and my, my stories are rich with a lot of interesting metaphor and nuance. And I don't plan to change that anytime soon. I think it's unique and it's my voice. It mm-hmm. is what it is. On the question of how you get how you go from the page to the stage, as they say, a common way people do it at first is they memorize. And I, I don't, I don't, I think that you can still be true to the richness of your words as a writer, but find a way to relearn the story the way you wrote it. And that takes, in my case, it, it can take up to a few weeks. It can, it, more intensely, it can take a week where I'm just thinking about the story and remapping it the way I wrote it. What I mean by that is sometimes the sequence of my stories, I don't always start at the beginning. I start in the action. I go back. I, t- I go between what I'm thinking internally and what I'm trying to share about the incident. And that may not be the way I originally remembered the story or the incident, right? So it's this practice of kind of reacquainting yourself with how do I want the audience to hear it? And yeah. learning it that way. But I, do, I don't memorize unless the only time I might memorize something is if, you know, I, I use a notion of beats in, in thinking about my story. So what is the intro? Where do I want to hit at like minute three? Do I want to pause somewhere to give the audience a second to take it in? Is there a word that really matters? You know, are there things that I want to hit through the story that I think are really going to matter for the audience? That's the kind of precision I would do that might involve memorizing, but whole texts, no. Has storytelling had any impact on your writing? Have you become changed? Have you changed as a writer? I think for sure, seriously unblocked. I think I was so struggling with like, who am I writing for? What am I writing for? I didn't know what my voice was at all. And in the case of boxing, I couldn't figure out, am I just a random fan? Am I, am I writing as a judge? Am I writing as a, an, athlete, an old athlete? I, I didn't know what my voice was going to be. And storytelling has helped me find that kind of outlet. And I'm really grateful for that. I mean, it, it's allowed me to, to, to really refine what I think was developing as a voice. And I don't mean to sound you know fancy about that either. It's changed my thinking about my own writing a lot. Mm. And it continues to, which is really, really cool. I was at a couple of events last night. I did I did a story myself and then I went to another event online and and, and I came away with a bunch of notes that I I learned. So I, I I don't know that I had that kind of receptivity before. It's like it my ear is tuned differently. It's really fascinating. Mm. It's really interesting. You know, storytelling for me has been this area where I really get to look at how stories are made, how they're developed, how they're sequenced, uh, what's important to a story. Of course, we talk about things like having stakes and for there to be a goal, for there to be tension, uh, something preventing the, the main characters realizing the goal. I think these are great things. I wondered if, uh, you know, any uh, upcoming writer would just completely benefit from having some sort of section, some sort of storytelling education, like oral storytelling. I was reading a book by the guy who wrote The Fight Club, uh, Chuck Palniak, if I'm pronouncing that right. And he really loves oral storytelling. This book that he wrote is his most recent book, and it's about writing. And he talks about how 
in the writing that he likes to do, you only have like the present and you're not really worried about anything else and you're moving through a scene, which is one of the first lessons I got as a storyteller. Kurt, you're sounding too writerly. Kurt, you're not attached to the motion, to the emotion of this story. Kurt, you're being, um, you're sort of objectifying the whole situation. You've got to get close to it or there's no story at all. And so I started to think, well, damn, you know, this might make writing a lot easier for me. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on writing, but I do see this opportunity to talk to somebody who has a, a similar background as I have. And you've really... Um, you've become such an incredibly strong storyteller. I just, I think there are a lot of people who might come from writing, who do come from writing and say, oh, I want to give the storytelling a shot. And I, I see a, a lot of value in it for people. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think, well, I think there's value for just about anybody to do it if it's only that you get to practice in whatever your world is, thinking about what you want to say and how you're going to reach your audience with that thing. And whether it's an elevator pitch or a true startup pitch or how you're presenting yourself at a meeting, we're telling stories all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. Every time you come in, um, you know, come back from vacation and recount either the joys and horrors of the time away, you're telling a story, right? Mm -hmm. And that's revealing quite a lot about who you are as a person. So, so I think in general, it's it's a, an interesting practice for most people. But for writers, what's fascinating is the, the immediacy with which you have to reach the audience in a story. You really do have to move quickly to get their attention and then somehow hold it. And I think that that, and, and sometimes, I'll be frank, I've told stories where I'm not sure it's really worked, but it's at least allowed me to try and experiment and I think that's a good practice for writers. And the additional challenge might be to say, well, I'm a writer. How do I be true to my love of the word, my love of a really sharp hmm. phrase, my love of whatever it is? How do I make that part of my brand in a story? And over the few years I've been doing this, I feel really committed to that. No, I, I catch myself being too writerly sometimes too. But in a way, I kind of start there. I start from that place and then I pull back to what I think the story needs to be. Mm -hmm. the, in the first part of your answer, in terms of uh, cutting through and determining like, how are we going to make a connection with the audience, certainly uh, telling stories uh, is, is such a great practice for that. When you go back to writing, do you think, do you, think you need to moderate that new lesson that you've learned, uh, it, can you be too open in writing or not sure how to put it? I have actually changed my approach. When I had started um, storytelling, I would write first. <clears throat> Over the last year or so, I don't write first. I try to tell the story. So I try to vocalize it, I mean, to myself and try to see whether it it has legs. Is it authentic to me? Does it really matter to me? Is there anything in here that's universal that anyone would care about? What can I connect it to? Because it stories are never about like one thing that happened. It's not about the phone call that, that was around my dad, or it's not really about just Notre Dame Stadium. The story must be much larger. It's not an anecdote. It's a story. Once I feel like it's kind of past the test, like I think I can make it work, then I start writing. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's probably made my writing more flexible. I write with greater ease as a result of this. You know, when you do a lot of writing and you do a lot of creative work, 
it greases the wheels, like you mm-hmm. kind of get things flowing. So I, I don't know if it that actually works, but it hasn't been a hindrance to the writing. Like I haven't felt that I've turned into like a an unnecessary beat poet in my writing either. Like I haven't started doing spoken word stuff though. I sometimes tend toward that kind of beat quality in the way I speak. Mm-hmm. The beats have come up a couple of times uh, so far. Yeah. Were they an influence on you? Beat um, writers? I think so. I think I probably, there's something about uh, spoken word of all kinds that has a, a rhythmic quality that I really like. One of the things I started doing quite unconsciously, but now I'm more fanatical about it, I think is to use voice a lot. So my voice, both in terms of tempo speaking fast when I'm really excited about something or slowing down when I want the audience to listen, um, playing with voice and tempo, uh, I find super interesting. I think mm-hmm. it's something that storytellers probably could do a lot more of. Because people aren't reading. They have the benefit of our voice. So why not use it? That's so interesting. So I was in a bookstore literally, so Saturday, and I was standing there with my brother-in-law's daughter. And uh, she is a sophomore in high school. And she picked up a book that I'd read more than 20 years ago, long enough ago that I could not remember anything about it. But I knew that it was a good book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I said, good for you, (laughs) but she said, oh yeah, you like to read. I know that about you, Kurt. And then she said, I wish I read more. And I said, you know, I didn't read at your age at all. What I did was I watched TV and I meant that as in, Hey, maybe this reading thing will happen for you in a couple of years. Who knows? Have patience. Uh, the next line from her was, and she wasn't trying to throw a pie in my face or anything. She said, no one reads anymore. Hmm. When I just sort of walk around, I think about what I want to tell, like my storytelling class, I start a new one tonight. I try to explain to them sort of the recent history and storytelling, how the moth came on the scene 20 years ago and really helped to popularize this ancient art of storytelling. There's something It seems, I just called it ancient, but there's something really relevant about short stories that are told out loud to people who are apparently not reading so much anymore. Certainly our reading habits have changed so much since television, but even in the last 10 years, I just try to make sense of my own, I guess, journey in life in becoming a storyteller. How did this happen? I certainly didn't see this happening 10 years ago. I was so in love with the written word, but I feel like some of it is just uh, by osmosis and the changes in our times. Uh, Have you felt any of that? Yeah, that's totally, I I love the way you took that journey in a way because it, yeah, I I think there's something about us being, we're influenced by our surroundings. We're influenced by the infusion of digital culture on us, right? I'm not, I'm not a digital native, but much of my professional life has, you know, grown with um, the rise of digital. I didn't start there, but it's everything I work with now. And so um, the consequence of that is certainly a different kind of attention span than I might have had um, without it. It means an appreciation for a diversity of stuff coming in. I would hope people would still continue reading, but isn't it wonderful rather that we have a visual culture and an audible culture that we can rely on now right and that comes through different forms of music but it also comes in in spoken word 
um, spoken read books on audio. It becomes through uh, the resurgence of podcasts and even old fashioned radio concepts, like the boom in podcasts in itself is quite interesting. I would say I'm in favor of anything that promotes a kind of literacy. If the only way folks are getting their literacy is through a digital culture or storytelling, that's a good place to start. And, you know, I've been thinking about you the last 45 minutes, like, okay, now Joanne is talking about how she became a storyteller. And, you know, I imagined you sort of, well, as you have to do, you have to make your own way. There's discomfort, there's awkwardness in learning something new. And I'm, I'm like, how do I ask Joanne? What is it that's inside of you that makes all this uh, sustainable? There's some something inside that makes mining your experience. Um, this needs to be a part of your time here on Earth, right? I mean, maybe it could have equally been in another way. Um, it wasn't entirely a happy accident because I I wanted to try it, right? I I willfully took charge and thought, I'm going to try the storytelling thing. And I was completely, I would have been accepting of it not working or not being my thing. It, it's quite extraordinary when you, to try something and then find that there's something about it that really opens up other channels. Mm. I mean, it's something I, I continue doing and it's a practice that's grown because I teach um, primarily startups and scientists to do storytelling now, but I really feel like in order to teach them, I, I want to walk in those shoes. And so continuing to learn and refine my own practice and continuing to grow my storytelling it is really, really important. And whether it's sharing family stories or stories about, in my case, boxing, which is a major passion of mine, uh, and a love of sports. Uh, you know, I, I'm very keen to do all those things. There's so many connections, Joanne. Um, I'm really into sports. My father went to Notre Dame, so I've been through that Oh my that God, stadium. really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, he was uh, crazy about Notre Dame football and got their uh, blue and gold magazine, you know, was all about the football. It is it's such really- a unique place. It is, a, it is truly a story worthy, I think most sports are story worthy, but Notre Dame in particular has such an infectious, extraordinary culture that uh, I have no other connection to it. Not a grad, um, had never been there before, but I I still get newsletters. I follow them on social. I watch Notre Dame games whenever I can. Yeah. Faithful faithful fan always. It's, It's such an awesome tradition just to watch a game. I didn't go to a game there, but I, I definitely got to see the stadium with my wife when we were driving cross country years ago. Uh, it was just to be able to call my father and say, guess where I am. Um, yeah. but I was, I'm glad I made the pilgrimage. I'm glad you did too. That sounds really. It, yeah, it was extraordinary. And I'd, I, I would certainly go back. American college sports are, you know, it's not a culture I grew up with. So there's also this other kind of quasi-anthropological take I have on it because it feels very much like another world. But I have done the same sort of thing with boxing. I've gone to some of the, most of the classic original boxing gyms in the U.S. And that's when I was trying to write about those experiences. And and it, it really didn't work at just as a writer project, but it, it has worked better as a story project. Mm. Now, earlier when you were, you were saying, you know, you really tried your hand at many different uh, forms of writing, 
I'm still sort of on that journey where I did try a lot of different kinds of writing uh, mm -hmm. to varying degrees of success, but none of it was ever good enough. Uh, one thing that I say, the success <laughs> part, um, the one thing I really struggled with was the amount of time I would put into writing that would never really, it takes a lot of effort to find a market for these things. And what I loved about about storytelling is, okay, well, it seems to me uh, that it's really important that I'm able to do something with the experiences that I have. And in my first storytelling show, I said, wow, I've been up here for five minutes and I haven't seen anybody look at their phone. They actually appear to be listening to me. And like, why did it take me so long to get here? So here you have, for the price of the willingness to put your name in a hat and perhaps get picked, in the sort of um, nervousness that gives you, you have this opportunity, you know, to tell your stories. I think it's pretty awesome that we have that today. When I graduated from college, there was no thing like this. There just wasn't an opportunity. If you were someone who were in love, who was in love with words, you it was definitely going to be for the page. But at the same time, the internet would come along and completely devastate the idea of making being a career writer, make it even more difficult than it ever was before. There's an immediacy about storytelling as a creative channel, right? mm -hmm. um, not only in terms of getting access to audiences in a more democratic way, because most storytelling shows are actually quite open to new storytellers. And there's a whole diversity of them, which is wonderful. And I think that's important that that we not just listen to ourselves, those those of us who've been doing it for a few years, but I mean, that's fun too, because we get to see each other evolve and grow, but it's all the more important to see folks who are new. And I learn as much truly from them as I do from more seasoned storytellers. But there's an immediacy because it's probably, what is it, maybe 500 words, 700 words. You know, you're not slogging through chapters and chapters of text. There's an immediacy about the practice. Mm -hmm. It, that you have to share. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's really cool. Yeah. Early on, someone told me, you know, it's really important to be authentic or genuine. Another phrase I heard early on was, it's more important that you look like you're having a good time or that you're <laughs> engrossed in the material than it is to be perfect. And I found that to be a load off. It's actually really true. So I'll share an anecdote. I told a story um, in a show last uh, week, I think. Um, and it was a story that I haven't released yet. Um, and it was about my uh, crush in a way on Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> so I went to great lengths to become a Frank Lloyd Wright expert um, over the years. And, and it culminates in a, in a somewhat dramatic incident in which I'm pretty much asked to leave one of his houses. I didn't do anything illegal, but it, it was a, it's a funny story about a passion gone too far. And I crafted it as a story with all the tropes of like how you foresee someone and you kind of, you know, you're interested in them and you have a crush and then you see some red flags, but you ignore them because you really like this person. And I, I pitched this all around me and Frank you know, the audience loved it. And I was talking to some storytelling friends and they, and they said, God, I love that story. And I said, well, tell me what, it, what did you like about it? And I was thinking they would say, well, you use this metaphor really well, or you use this word really well. And they said, it's because we felt your enthusiasm mm. because we really believed 
that you were actually in love with a long dead architect. Hmm. And I thought, okay, okay, well, that's good. I mean, I, I don't mind that I put all that effort into the wordsmithing. I like that part. And maybe some people got those things, but it was the energy and the, the, the experience that mattered, right? I was able to reach them. I sold the idea that I could actually fall in love with a dead architect. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And, <laughs> and, you know, in my mind, uh, your, the time spent wordsmithing allowed that to really emerge, you know, I, that sort of enthusiasm. Yeah, I hope so. I think um, your podcast partner, Sean, still cites, he remembers one of the lines um, from the story. He, so th- that worked. I was able to get that across. But And when I hear you ask your friends, like, so what did you like about the story or how did it sound to you? That that seems to be a quality that that you carry around with you. It seems to me that you're very open to getting feedback from other people. Yeah, I, I think if you can't be ready to hear the feedback, then your stories are are really not going to evolve and change because the feedback either from anybody, really any audience, but in particular, other storytellers are your, your first audience. They're telling you what they hear. And it's a practice I use with startups in particular, where they'll give me their pitch and I'll say, okay, this is what I heard. And it's often quite different than what they think they're telling me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the kind of feedback that comes is really, really precious because it challenges our way of thinking about our story. And we're so hung up on our way of telling a story that we really need that feedback. And, and it, it'll often happen. I, it happened this week. I gave some storytellers some feedback on their stories, and I then saw them perform it exactly the way they intended to. So they didn't accept I'll be frank, it didn't land. And it's not because my advice is more perfect or better than others, but it was an interesting way to watch how even in the presence of the best advice, we stick to the plan we think is the right one. And it, I I like to think I've taken the advice that's been offered to me. Like when I've storytellers have said, sorry, that doesn't work. I, I believe them. I don't think it works. I mean, that just points to this opportunity that we've gotten since COVID to actually talk to people, other storytellers Mm. across North America. I guess you're in Toronto. Um, In Montreal. Montreal. Oh, I see. I was going to go over that with you. I've gotten that mixed up in the past. Um, So in Montreal. But yeah, just speaking of feedback, being able to to tell your story and sort of workshop it. It's been really important. And it actually... um, you know, before COVID, I, I probably used story shows to prompt my writing. So it's okay, well, these are coming up. Maybe I should try to pitch a story. And since COVID, I find myself writing a lot more and thinking about stories in a new way. And partly it's because there are a whole world of opportunities available outside my city. Um, but it's also just connected me to, you know, to you and and to Sean and to, but but a whole world of extraordinary tellers mm-hmm. who are generous and interesting and really, really changing my practice in a way, like in the sense of it re-inspiring my storytelling. That's excellent. And to finish a thought from earlier, you, you may be the only person I know who will now start a story by recording it, I imagine on your phone, perhaps. Uh, and then you said that you like to come in if it seems worth it to you uh, to follow up and develop the story. You actually develop it by re- taking out the pen and writing. Yeah. Um, 
it's not that I won't write things down. I do keep a log of story ideas and I'm, you know, I try to have some every day. I don't even record it. I just say it out loud. Mm-hmm. I just, I try to work it and think, okay, could I, could I really make this work? Is this something? And I might play with it for a few days. And, and if it sticks in the sense of what is my measure? Is it authentic? Is it matter to me? Did it really happen? Is there something about this thing that happened around which I can wrap something that's going to matter to anybody else? Or is it just stories are not anecdotes, right? Stories have to be a full experience for the audience. And so just the fact that one thing happened to you is really not a story. It is much, much, much more. And so if I can get it to work orally, if I can play with it enough and think, okay, let me give it a try. And then I write it. Mm -hmm. How does the world change if everybody gets it in their head that they need to become a good storyteller? Well, it's a good boom for business, I guess, for those who are in the coaching, teaching world of of storytelling. I'm a bit conflicted about this because I... I would never want to be, it's not a question of censoring people's stories, but I'm not sure that every story needs to be told. Indeed, we all have them. It's at the discretion of the storyteller to decide whether it's a story that's, you know, worthy of sharing. I'm not going to be trite and say the world would be a better place if everyone told more stories. I think if a literacy about why storytelling matters, a bigger audience for storytelling would be make me really happy. So, you know, I have friends who are now storytelling fans, but truly never wish to tell their own stories. And I think that is as as much a win as uh, having people better acquainted with being able to tell their own. Mm -hmm. I agree. I'm glad to hear you say it too. I hadn't really thought that one through. Yeah, just having people who don't actually tell stories enjoy it uh, because it is really enjoyable. That's terrific. And I wanted to ask you, you know, do you have any favorite storytellers that you can point to? It's a hard one, right? Because if I if I mention one person, I'm I'm invariably gonna exclude others. There are lots of people I really like to listen to, but there there's actually a woman most of her work is in French, but she has told stories in English. She's based in Canada, in Quebec, and her name is Julie Moray. I think she'll be mortified that I probably mentioned her. <laughs> I, I would love for people to find her work. She has uh, an extraordinary, literate, beautiful voice in storytelling. The richness mm. of her stories has made me laugh and cry. Mm-hmm. And I really admire, uh, you sense the effort that she puts into her stories is deeply authentic work. But there, you know, there, there are many others. I'm a big fan of uh, Rana Levy in Brooklyn. I'm a big fan of Sean's, you know, lot, lots of people. And, and typically the, what attracts me is the authenticity of the voice. You know, mm-hmm. the, and, and sometimes does that mean a raw kind of story? Yeah, because it's real. It's mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, Julie, her last name, is it M-A-U-R-A-I-S? It's M-O-R-I-N. Okay, thank you. A couple of things I just wanted to square away. So you live in Montreal. And I live you work, in Montreal. Okay, and you work for a university in Toronto. Is that how I mix that up? No, no I, I work in Montreal. I work for Concordia University in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Okay, in Montreal is where you grew up too. I grew up in Montreal. I went to grad school in Toronto. Okay, got you. Okay. Thank you very much for being part of this 
again, I mean, if you want to listen to one of Joanne's uh, stories, uh, a couple of weeks ago, right here on Grit, we featured her story. Every roof has a story. Every roof has a story. Yeah. And Joanne, um, you have a really nice looking website with other um, samples of your work. And how would someone find you that uh, website? In- indeed, I have a, a website that features some of my stories. It's connected to a YouTube channel and you can find me. I'll spell it for you at J-P-E-L-L-E-T-I-E-R.ca. I'm just looking at my little list here and I have one more question that I've always, I've just wanted to ask you since I became aware of you uh, a few short months ago. Mm-hmm. And is it, it's what is, I know that you love sports mm-hmm. and now I know that you've loved sports for an awfully long time, which yeah. is another thing we have in common, but boxing, what's the story with boxing in you? So boxing, uh, I'd watched it as a kid. I'd never done it. And about 15 years ago, I was on my way to work. I was stuck in traffic every day on the same street, stuck, stuck, stuck. And I I would be stuck so long in the same spot. It was right next to a boxing gym. So I'd sit there looking inside. And I, I would say at the time, I was a little bit stuck in my own life as well. And after a few weeks of feeling stuck in traffic and watching these boxers, I went in and tried a class. Uh, but at the time, there were no women's classes. Uh, it was just me and the guys. And, um, you know, it's it's really hard to explain. I would have been in my early 40s at the time. I got good really quickly. <laughs> and I took to it and it took to me. It was really tough. You know, I progressed in the sport. I was a little too old to, to have a, a career as a fighter. I did fight a few times. Um, I trained in uh, Brooklyn and Vegas and Chicago about six years ago, I started, I got certified as a, a boxing official. So a judge in mm. Quebec, Ontario and, and with USA boxing in the U S. Hmm. Wow. That's phenomenal. Uh, so I have to ask, you know, you're yeah. going to the ring and you're going to do, you, I mean, training is one thing, but here I am, I'm going to be boxing this other person and I'm probably going to take my lumps. Were you nervous? Uh, what was the feeling for you? Uh, terrified. Uh, <laughs> you know, probably as terrified as the first time I told the story in front of the audience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> sure. Absolutely terrified. What I've learned about boxing, you know, the perception is that it people will often say to me, gee, you must be really angry to get out all that aggression. For me, boxing has never been about anger. It's never been about aggression. Well, it's a certain kind of aggression in the ring. But it's not about pent up anger. It's actually a very controlled sport. The best boxers are very mindful and very disciplined and very deliberate in their actions. It's not at all about this burst of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, I like to think storytelling, like there's some there's some similarities for me, like about discipline, about focus, about agility about navigating the unexpected, um, certainly about reaching an audience because <laughs> boxers and storytellers both do it. So, um, and the judging thing that being an official, you know, my, I want to stay in the sport as long as I can and stay in safely. So what better way? I mean, I can be ringside now, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to get my nose broken again. <laughs> Well, that's great. Thank you for that answer. And uh, thanks for this talk. I've, I've so enjoyed it, Joanne. It was so fun. Thank you so much, Kurt.
special thanks to Joanne, Joanne Pelletier. Joanne, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And for our listeners, thank you as always. Thank you very much for listening from both Sean and me. And if you have a question or a comment and want to reach out in any way or for whatever reason, email Sean and me at hello at storygrit.com. The email, again, is hello at storygrit.com. You can also message us on our Facebook page at True Stories That Matter. And hey, if you listen on Apple, please help us out. Rate and review this podcast. It really helps people find it. Oh, and one last thing. Sean has another great 7x7 storytelling show coming up on the evening of March the 7th. Sean's 7x7 series has lit up the storytelling world on Zoom during COVID. Sean does a great job casting this show. And if you're in storytelling as a fan or a storyteller or both, great. you got to check this one out. Check the show notes on how to find it. And finally, if you could use some help telling your own stories, writing and delivering your, your speech, writing and giving it like an important toast, or doing that work presentation that just has to be good, I can help you. Just reach out. My email is kurtmullen 27 at gmail.com. It's in the show notes, too, and I'd love to work with you. Okay, everybody, that's it for this week's show. I hope you have a great day.